0: I just had a little thought come to me, and uh, I'd like to just teach on it just a little bit uh, this morning. And uh, It's in Proverbs 6. We'll just start at verse... Let's start at verse 16 today. And Solomon is dealing with some things just prior to this. Uh, and when you get down to verse 16, it kind of brings it all to a head, everything in this chapter that he dealt with before and uh, kind of brings it down in the next uh, three, four verses here. And uh, I just wanted to deal with this just a little bit this morning and uh, there's some, you know, there's some things that God hates. There's some things that's, it's displeasing to God. And uh, these three or four scriptures here that we're going to deal with this morning, it's not an exhaustive list of the things that God dislikes and the things that he, he, he is against. Uh, This is just about seven things here that we'll, we'll deal with this morning and, uh, probably won't be very long, which will make a lot of you happy probably this morning. And, um, but, uh, just to deal with these and, and Solomon is coming along and he's talking about, and he begins to deal with these six or seven things that he hates. One of them he terms as an abom, abomination. And, uh, I begin to look at this and, and, and wonder, you know, just why did specifically these things, uh, these seven things right here uh, that God said he hated. And uh, sometimes we have things happen in our life that remind us of something that we've been through. And it brings up a a feeling of maybe dissatisfaction or, stirs up anger just according to whatever <clears throat> excuse me the situation is and when these things happen or something is said or something it, uh, happens to you and it brings back this this track maybe a tragic memory of something uh, that you've been through and hurt that it caused you and sometimes it's easy for us to step up to the plate for somebody maybe that we're seeing being bullied or somebody that is being mistreated and somewhere through life we had that same experience and it's pretty easy for you to step up and put the brakes on the situation that's going on. And, uh, you know, sometimes people will look and I wonder why that made him uh, so upset. I wonder why he got so irate. And uh, I am teaching... I have talked about situations before as I was a young boy growing up uh, the way that some treated me and the way that I was done, and it uh it put an anger in my heart. it put something in me that i couldn't forget and it took me a long time to uh, get over these things brother d j and to get rid of the feeling someday i'll get even someday i'm they're going to pay for what uh, they' done to me, but as age progressed and uh uh, hopefully a little bit of wisdom got involved, I was able to forgive instead of get even. and uh, But a lot of times we talk about if you can't forgive, forget, and uh, or forgive and forget, and if you can't do both, just pick one, whichever one, just forget it or forgive them. And uh, a lot of times I've had to forgive because the scar was a little bit Uh, deep, and it left a remembrance. Uh, Even though I forgave, I didn't forget. And occasionally during conversation, it'll come up, and before you know it, you're uh, making uh, relevance to this situation in your conversation. And so uh, things happen in our life, uh, and it puts a mark in our mind that uh, we never forget in past experiences. And as I looked at this today, I thought, well, maybe uh, this is why God hates these situations uh, as much as he does. And uh, starting at verse 16, it said, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And I looked at this word hate, and it's to feel intense or passionate dislike for someone. And if we just took a moment to thank here this morning, some person in our life, somewhere along the way, this could pop up. There'll be a... specific person that could come to mind this uh, today uh, that has a uh, intense passion or dislike that you have for them or a strong aversion to something and uh, it 's to hate that it stirs up something when things occur later in life and it makes you you think back and uh, uh, I, I and they said in the, the seventh is an abomination it 's a detestation, a hatred, a disgust, a hostility raised above one's surroundings. It goes beyond that. Lying tongue, not telling the truth. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 26, knowing it would cost him his life, told the truth to Cappheus, the high priest when he began to question in him. Sometime, now, Brother Nathaniel Sampson has a little saying. He said, a liar is an abomination in the eyes of God and a present help in the time of trouble. Well, that I don't feel like that's a true uh Sometimes we make it that way, and especially our children when they know that their tail is in the ringer, if you'd allow me to use that terminology this morning. You know, it's easy uh, to deny. uh, No, I didn't do that. And no, I'm not guilty of that. And uh, we were talking the other day about the little boy that pushed, back in the days of outhouses, that he pushed the outhouse over. And his grandfather came in the house and he began to question him about tipping over the outhouse and he remembered a story brother Simmons that he had just heard in school about the honesty of George Washington and telling the truth when his father asked questioned him about who cut down the cherry tree and he owned up to that and it in he and it got him around uh, you know a severe uh, capital punishment, if you please. And uh, so he told his grandfather, he said, yes, I pushed it over. Well, his grandfather grabbed a belt and nearly beat him to death and set him in the corner. And the little boy began to say, I don't understand. And he related the story of George Washington like I just related it. And he, he said, and then I tell the truth and I get this kind of punishment. He said, I want to tell you something, son. George Washington's father wasn't in the cherry tree when he cut it down. And so, but sometimes, you know, we want to, we want to use things to our advantage, even if it's uh, uh, not the truth, and sometimes if we tell the truth, we think it's going to justify the wrongdoing uh, that we've done. But he said, a lying tongue or a proud look and a lying tongue and I looked at that uh, that word uh, you know pride and uh, uh, it's having or displaying excessive self-esteem or raised above one's surroundings you think You're better than anybody else. You think you're superior uh, to everybody else. And that that is a look uh, that God hates. And, uh, you know, I feel like he faced that in the Sanhedrin court. I feel like, uh, you know, the priest and the the religious uh, people Sect of that day felt like they were above uh, the Messiah. They uh, uh, were afraid that a Messiah was going to interfere. And a lot of times, when uh, uh, people with a proud look that they think they're better uh, than anybody else, and when people begin to uh, maybe come up in life, and there's several in here today that make mention of their past and uh, are doing very well in business today, but they remember where they come from. They they don't. Forget forget the house that they used to live in. I I look back at the houses that I lived in. I was talking the other day of a little mobile home that I lived in when I first got married. Uh, uh, you couldn't heat it. You couldn't cool it. Uh, it. Ice got on the inside of the wall And uh, but today I'm, I'm blessed to be living in quite a bit better home than what I lived in 46 years ago but I, I don't try to be lifted up. I just try to act like I've lived in the same old mobile home that I've always lived in. I don't want to be prideful and I don't want to be lifted up and I especially if I feel like it's the blessing of God that got me to where I am today, I don't want to feel like that I'm a cut above. I realize today it's only by the mercies of God that I've even made it as far as I've made it in life. and so but that haughty spirit, that that prideful better than uh, uh, better than than you God doesn't like that he, uh, uh, he remembers it takes him back to a day uh, uh, when whatever he done whoever he healed uh, uh, he went around the Bible said doing good and they hated him for it he was infringing uh, uh, you know, on them and the, and the pride and they like to uh, uh, the Bible talked about the Pharisees the scribes and uh, uh, the high priests and they'd make uh, uh, the big long speeches in the marketplace and they got all of the attention and all the attention uh, was on them and they liked to parade through town and everybody saluting and bowing and uh, uh, giving them honor and all of a sudden here comes a a man uh, that's doing good and he's healing people and uh, uh, he's multiplying just little lunches and uh, uh, so uh, all of these things and all this envy and all this pride that begin to work on them uh, and they come against uh, uh, the Christ in the manner that they came against him because of their pride and then we move on to a lying tongue and uh, uh, we can go to the sin and like I said, uh, uh, when he was taken before Caiaphas the high priest and uh, and begin to question him, uh, uh, they couldn't find anything. Uh, they had men of Belial that come in. They accused him uh, of blaspheming. They accused him uh, of about everything that they could accuse him of, uh, and to set their innocent. It's a uh, uh, it's it, it's a hurtful thing to know that you're innocent and to be uh, here... 20 30 years ago uh, uh, there was accusations brought against us and uh, uh, you know it hurt you know that people would even think uh, because I tried to live uh, above that dishonesty I tried to live uh, above all of that and but through uh, uh, through pride through malice through envy uh, uh, all of these accusations was being brought against me and uh, uh, it, it let me know what hurt really is it caused me to view the judicial system uh, in a different sense maybe than what we always viewed it and I know there is guilty people out there and I know they go to extremes maybe uh, uh, to prove the innocence uh, or the guiltiness of of different individuals uh, uh, in our welfare system today but uh, to know that some are being falsely accused to know that there is simply an agenda uh, that someone has in their heart uh, against anybody and they seize this opportunity uh, to get even and so they just tell things uh, that are not true and they may tell it in a, in a form that, you know, uh, uh, they could, you know, j- just un- unjust and un- untrue and the Bible talks about uh, unjust weights and the Bible's very specific about uh, weights and majors and being honest with that and uh, uh, I know of instances that people done different things uh, uh, to change the weights and measures. I've heard people talk about that's in the scrap business. Uh, uh, Take an old refrigerator, lay it on its back and fill it, you know, half full of water or the fuel tanks uh, of the cars that they're taking to the scrap yard and they'll they'll fill the the tanks up with water uh, just to add that, you know, eight pound to the gallon. Don't take long uh, to add a few, but the Lord looks at that and uh, uh, he's not pleased with that and so uh, there is a Standard that Christians uh, uh, should live by. But God hates uh, that lion tongue. And when he sees that proud look uh, and he hears that lion tongue, I wonder if it takes him back uh, uh, to that day in Pilate's hall uh, uh, and before Caiaphas and the high priest uh, when he knew that telling the truth uh, was going to bring him punishment, was going to cost uh, him his life. Uh, yet he looked them in the eye uh, and said, I am the Christ. So many uh, words, and uh, uh, they begin to scream and and call or talk about treason uh, and blasphemy about exalting uh, and making himself equal with God. God, Jesus Christ, knew uh, that wasn't the truth because He was God manifested uh, in the flesh. Uh, And so, the the lion, the proud look, uh, and the lion tongue, uh, and the the hands uh, the Bible talks. Talked about that shed innocent blood. And I think of the Christ as he sat in Pilate's hall and he listened to these accusations. They he began to listen to the things that was brought against him, knowing that he had never done anything but raise Lazarus from the dead and feed 5,000 hungry people uh, on a hillside one day uh, uh, Jairus's daughter was sick uh, uh, he raised them and just all the miracles that he done and all the children uh, uh, that were brought to him and they begin to uh, uh, talk about crucify crucify, crucify uh, they offered them a thief uh, that was proven guilty of his crimes uh, uh a murderer, a thief and uh, offer him uh, uh, said look I'll, let you, I'll release to you Barabbas uh, uh, and, and we'll let this man go free and they said no you give us Barabbas crucify him, crucify him uh, and I'm thinking as maybe Solomon is writing uh, this uh, scripture uh, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost uh, uh, as he was writing this and he's talking about these six things uh, that God hates. Uh, are we sitting here today with a proud uh, look? Are we sitting here with a life uh, full of uh, self-esteem and pride uh, and better than anybody else? And Because uh, we recently got a promotion on the job, uh, we think that makes us better than anybody else uh, on the job when the janitor uh, is being just as faithful to his job uh, as you were to yours. and We try to raise... Uh, lift ourselves up uh, maybe lied to get that promotion and uh, uh, maybe incriminated somebody else uh, uh, that was innocent but we made them look guilty uh, so we could be put uh, into the position that we was desiring uh, uh, to achieve and the thing we were uh, striving to accomplish uh, and God is sitting there looking down at us uh, and there's an anger, there's something seething uh, on the inside of him as he looks uh, and he sees how we're carrying on uh, uh, maybe around our center friends uh, at work and people in the community and he looks uh, how we're treating them uh, and we're bringing this uh, uh, bad reputation on the church uh, and if that's a Christian uh, I don't want anything to do with the church Uh, I'm here to tell you you today uh, that God hates uh, the proud look Uh, God hates the lying tongue God hates those uh, uh, that shed innocent blood uh, and put others down uh, uh, to achieve what their flesh is desiring to achieve. And a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. To form in the mind by new combinations or applications of ideas, to plan to obtain or to bring about or to plot. Maybe the Lord's looking back at maybe when Naboth refused Ahab his vineyard. The Bible said it was his inheritance. There's some things I can break around the house and pretty much get by with. But there's some things that was handed down from Grandma. There was things that was given to me by my dad. And if I break those, it's it's bad, it's bad. And uh, if it was just mouthing me, I could probably take that, but when they break down and they're sobbing and that was my mom's and her grandma gave it to her and she gave that to me. And so, uh, you know, uh, when when this happens, I mean, it's hurtful. And so maybe Ahab looked at this garden, but it was Naboth's inheritance. And he goes and he tries to purchase it Honestly, and just forward. But it didn't happen. This is my inheritance. This is something you don't get rid of. Maybe it was through his descendants. Maybe that was uh, some of them grapes. Uh, that we read about that the spies packed on. they were so large the cluster of grapes was so large that they had uh, to maybe pack on the pole maybe uh, Naboth some way those seed were passed on down uh, and they started them a vineyard maybe you know out of that seed and this this was something special this uh, th- th- this is my inheritance and sometimes uh, people are so uh, easy to just give up their inheritance Inheritance and uh, uh, or their walk with God, if you please, because they're in, they're intrigued by some weak and beggarly element uh, in the world. Even though Christ gave everything for us, we sit in the church today, and we have the little things that we desire and we want to hold on to, and we're we're not willing to give up, and we hold on to them. Uh, but God, when He when Christ uh, went to Calvary, He gave it all. He gave His life, uh, and in in the midst of that he gave his stripes uh, uh, was for our healing he was bruised for our iniquity uh, he was wounded for our transgressions uh, but, but by his stripes were healed uh, and while they were taking his life he still he gave his life and the Bible says no greater love is this uh, than any man, any man than this and he would lay down uh, his life uh, for a friend uh, I'm telling you something when somebody uh, has given their life for you. uh, I want to tell you something. I feel like uh, that I would be forever indebted the rest of my life. Uh, If one of my grandchildren were in trouble uh, and someone come up and said, look, punish me. Uh, You let this young man go free. Uh, I want to tell you, regardless of how guilty uh, uh, I may have been or my grandchild uh, uh, may have been, I want to tell you something. Uh, I would feel indebted. Uh, I would want to give my every to that man's uh, family as much as I could uh, to help out. Uh, but we we, we want to hold back. We don't want to give uh, everything to God regardless uh, of how plain it is uh, in the word of God. We want to hold on to it uh, uh, because of our desires. And a lot of times uh, we plot evil ways uh, uh, to get by with this uh, and connive and to do what we want to do. Uh, uh, but anyway, as now. Naboth refused the offer uh, for Ahab, uh, and Ahab, no doubt through pride, uh, he wanted this vineyard uh, not because it was just just close, uh, uh, but he really he had he wanted to make a garden of herbs out of it. Uh, and Naboth's looking at it, uh, uh, man, I can't give this up, uh, and you come in and destroy this beautiful uh, vineyard. Evidently, it had to be attractive. Uh, I don't feel like Naboth was full of pride. Uh, but he had something to be proud of. And Naboth refused this offer and Ahab goes back to the palace. Man, rich man, poor man, all over again like David. But his wife comes in, Jezebel, and said, man, why, uh, why are you so distraught in so many words? Why are you cast down? And he begins to relate the story. Oh man, and here is a perfect example of... Uh, that devises wicked imagination. She said, you don't worry, Uh, uh, you'll have that vineyard. And we all know the plot that she devised. She got false witnesses to come in and witness against Naboth. And they took his life. What kind of a mind could... To lay down and devise this kind of deception. Wicked imaginations. I want to tell you something. I preached a few weeks ago about the heart. Someone said, well, I just go with my heart. I just follow my heart. Everything I find in the Bible, that's not a very good decision. The Bible said it's exceedingly Wicked. Who can know it? You ever just been going down the road and some of the stupidest, craziest thoughts go through your mind? that you have to say, Lord, forgive me. Why was I, why would, you know, it's, it's just like David in the Psalms. Man, he's renewing, what's he doing? He's renewing his mind. Was he going through adversity? Yes. Was he being falsely accused? Was, uh, uh you know, someone devised wicked imaginations against him and uh, uh, putting it into effect. I think it's Micah that talks about woe to them uh, that lie up on their bed and devise wicked imaginations Uh, and then when the morning is light they go out and they practice uh, the thing that they've laid there all night to scheme or to rook or to uh, take people uh, and take advantage of them and uh, uh, con artists that they lay and they just figure out ways uh, uh, they can con somebody without having to literally uh, uh, get a job and support their self. This is uh, as far as I'm concerned wicked imaginations and they devise these techniques and uh, uh, these con artists and man uh, you've worked all day and slept all night and man here comes this cat uh, uh, that he's devised. He knows how to make his presentation uh, uh, and it's happened to good businessmen uh, in this community and uh, uh, one of the the bookkeeper for one my father-in-law, one of them bookkeepers, uh, uh, was selling insecure bonds and there wasn't really nothing uh, uh, to what he was selling and uh, uh, he wound up doing prison. I remember going to the jail and him being a custodian in there, as far as I concerned uh, was concerned, he ought have been handcuffed and in there uh, not having any freedom at all. I went to an old man about 80 years old. He was a machinist uh, over by Newtonian. he still had to work. And the reason that he had to work, because this man that I'm talking about took his entire life savings. He was a machinist uh, all of his life, and this uh, uh, this man that I'm talking about devised uh, uh, and you know conjured up this way and took. And not just this gentleman only, but it touched me to see this man in his 80s still working on a daily basis to support himself because he had lost everything to a man uh, that devised wicked imaginations. And so God, uh, he's sitting there suffering and uh, uh, he can feel our pain in these areas uh, because he has faced up to this point everything and through the, through the courts, the uh, judicial system of that day he he faced all of that and uh, feet that be swift in running to mischief man how I many has ever had a kid that can just from one thing into another i know that wasn't me you can ask my mom i know that wasn't me but he's talking about feet that is swift in running to mischief They were just constantly after the Christ, never letting off. Wherever they could find him, they attacked him. I need a better example, Brother Sampson. We read about, I believe it's Job. Job 1, 7 and 8. Where the sons of men were coming before God. I want to tell you something. Just because you're in the church doesn't mean all of these things don't work on your mind. These opportunities present themselves. One of the most tragic stories we could probably tell this morning. in the assembly of the righteous, the sons of God, coming before God himself. And Job talks about the devil came right in with them. And this is where it all began. Some people say, I never had trouble. I never knew... Financial, I never knew this or that until I started going to the church. Well, welcome aboard. That's usually where it starts. Judgment starts at the house of God. They're the people that's usually gonna be judged first. You let something happen in a community, if it's church oriented, I can guarantee you judgment starts at the house of God. It's them church people. It's them church people. And this this is the way it starts. But I want to tell you something. I've had people tell me I never faced such trouble till I started going to church. Well, this is where it happens because the devil comes and he looks at everybody. He's not worried as much as for those out there that's drinking and carousing and fornicating and adulterating and stealing and rooking because he's already got them in his clutches. They're already under his spell. So he's looking, he's seeking whom he can devour. And the Lord looks up and there's the devil. And he said, where did you come from? And Satan's just honest now the Bible said he's a roar, going to and fro like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Just because you're in the house of God, that doesn't exempt you from trouble, trials, tribulation. He said, I've been going to and fro in the earth. Back and forth, to and fro. In other words, I'm not missing anything. I'm looking for somebody. Did he say that? No. But God knew his attributes. And God said, without him saying, Where'd you come from? I'm going to and fro, back and forth, in all the earth. I'm covering it. He's relentless, he's good at what he does. Feet running swift to mischief. And God looks at him and he said, Have you considered my servant Job? And the devil don't miss a thing, and he don't miss a lick. He said, Yeah, I've considered him, but you've got a hedge around him and he can't be touched. Yes, sir. Well, God knows that it's Job's integrity. That's got him to where he's at. Job's integrity with God has got him the prosperity that he's got. Job wasn't a prideful man. Job was a humble man. But he said, you take, now this is how swift the devil can work. And this is how swift he'll get in your mind to do his work. And he said, you take the hedge down and I'll make him curse you to your face. So in so many words, a deal, it's on. Now read very quickly here in Job, and you can read this at home, and I'll just, I'll just paraphrase a little bit here and move on. But read how very quickly the devil went to work. The sooner he can get in your mind and the sooner he can get control of you, the better he likes it. But the Bible talks about a destruction that comes swiftly. And when he gets you, he'll see that destruction is brought on you as fast as he can. Oh, Brother Samson, I don't believe that. Well, let's look at Job. He said, you're wrong. So immediately what happens, read it immediately what happens. Job is attacked. His camels are destroyed. And while the messenger is standing there, Brother Brent giving him the message of the disaster that just took place before he can even, while he was yet talking, the Bible talks about, here comes another messenger with another catastrophe. This is just, I mean, as soon as God released him, he went to work. And did he just hit him once and back off? no. He knew what he was dealing with. He knew the integrity of Job. I'll do it so swiftly takes the camels and the asses and then uh, the sheep and the goats and just, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but just before one messenger could get done. Now this is swift. This is feet that's running swift to mischief. What are we talking about? We're getting right down to the core of where mischievousness comes from and where works of Satan comes from. And you cannot execute his work speedily enough to satisfy them and it's just, the Bible talks about hell has engulfed itself it's enlarged itself it looks like maybe Satan is making a, a little better progress than what it was intended for him to make in the beginning because hell has enlarged itself to receive you at your coming Messenger after messenger, this is how quickly Satan worked. And God remembers this, and he remembered what Job went through. And Job still maintained his integrity. And the next meeting, well, how did it go? And he said, well, Job serves you for naught because he is so wealthy and so rich. He passed that test. But sometimes the devil's not satisfied until he gets a little more personal in our life. Yes. Yes. Very sweet. When all the cattle and all, all of his, all, all, everything, is, everything was gone, his children, everything that meant anything, he comes back and he wants to touch his health. And God again drops the barrier, but you can't touch his life. You see how very quickly Job is covered from head to toe with boils and such misery? Those of us that's ever had a boil in our life, just a maybe a pimple that was infected, is miserable enough. But to have a carbuncle and with a, a core in it, the size of a dime, and your nerves, and just it's on it. And Job was covered this from from head to toe. He was covered. His friends came and stared at him for three days. He was so miserable looking that they couldn't even hardly recognize him. And then when they do start talking, I want to tell you something, the devil knows how to work on you, and he's relentless, and he does it just as fast as it can possibly be done. When you're down to nothing, I got at least I got some friends, but then when your friends come, and they look at you, in horror and disgust, really, it's what they were looking at him in it, when you deal with the situation. And when they begin to talk, they begin to tell him, Job, you have to be guilty. Man, at least you got a friend you can talk to. You, you feel like uh, that you got a little, you know, someone that you can depend on. It, it, it's a comfort. But all three of them look at him and then they, they begin to tell him in so many words, Job, you have to be guilty of something. And in fact, what you're probably guilty of, Job, you're just getting half of the punishment that you deserve. Man, that would be discouraging. But God sees the work of Satan and how quickly he can work and when he gets a hold of people, how quickly people can hurt and how people, it's like Job's friends, they were better than Job. You've done wrong. Job's laying there, he knows he's innocent. He don't know what's going on, but he knows one thing. He's not guilty as accused. That's what makes God hate a false witness. Recently, I've read a few articles in the news where people after 28 years, 38 years... It's one thing to be like uh, Brother Toby Guthrie that came to our church and talked to us and uh, uh, preached to us that was guilty of murder and served 20, was it 28 years, 38 years, something like that uh, in the penitentiary. And he said, I... When the governor's wife said, Toby, why are you here? He said, ma'am, I'm guilty. I'm where I belong for what I've done. And that's one thing to know that, but to know that you're innocent of what you're being accused of, uh, and you can't prove that innocence, but you know that you're innocent. I want to tell you something. That's disheartening. That's discouraging. And God is looking at this, and he's developing a disgust. He's developing a, a hate For feet that are swift and running to mischief and to uh, uh, wicked imaginations and innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations and feet that are swift and running to mischief. Verse 19 talks about a false witness that speaketh lies. Pretty much just covered this with the wicked imaginations bearing false witness. Being accused of doing it when you know that you didn't do it and he that soweth the discord among the brethren you know it's amazing over the years that i've seen churches split i've seen congregations divided i've seen beautiful relationships, strong relationships among elders in the church. But this pride and this lion tongue, I've seen it come into work and I've seen it as it began to work the congregation and begin to work one man at a time, one family at a time. till I've seen some of the greatest apostolic churches in the fellowship divided. Churches that one time ran in the hundreds are now in the f- 50s, 60s, 70s. More than just one, more than just one. Now, sometimes it was immorality. Sometimes it was false doctrine that led to these. But more often than not, it's just somebody that didn't see eye to eye that what was going on and could not rest, could not rest until they'd done the damage that they desired to do. And if it took a little bit of lying, if it took a little bit of shadiness, they were willing to do that to accomplish the discord. Fortunately enough in a community and in a church, Somebody can very quickly recognize the airhead that's there just to cause trouble. And, and really, they just, they want to draw attention more, t- more often than not to their self. And I've had people come to me and say, Brother Samson, we, we tried to be friends to these individuals, but man, they ain't satisfied with nothing. They don't like nothing. They're disgruntled about everything in the church. So they begin to sow this discord. And if it's being a little shady, if it's lying a little bit, it doesn't bother them. And they they bring this about until pretty soon you got trouble in the church. You got people that no longer even want to come to the church. If that's the way they are, I'll be better off just to stay home. No. You'd be better off to pray for them. And just because that you get odd in your heart against somebody and you want to harbor that and not forgive or forget it as I was talking about earlier but the Bible said when you come to the altar and you get down to pray and you realize that you have this odd, you have this grievance you have this disagreement with somebody in the church the Bible said You just leave everything just like it is, right there at the altar, and get up and go get it fixed. Just go fix it. Just get up and go say, hey, what I accused you of, that's not right. What I thought someone did, that's not right. You know what it does? It stops this discord. I mean, you can go into a restaurant in the morning and somebody in the community, they don't like this and they don't like that. And, they, they, and what they do, they just keep going. They try to get them a gathering, they try to get people on their side. And, you know, they know they're, they're probably wrong, but they want to be right so bad. And this is the only way in their weak mind. Kind of like profanity. It's the supreme effort of a weak mind trying to express itself forcefully. Well, it's the same way with with gossip and discord and they're, they're doing this because they've never accomplished any kind of achievement, outstanding achievement uh, of any significance that anyone would even really care to listen to them uh, about their wisdom or input about anything and so they, they do this discord thing because you know this flesh loves to hear things. Don't tell nobody, but you promise me you won't tell a soul. I won't tell. It's like the three men in the boat. Three preachers in a boat and a storm came up. They thought it was their demise, so they decide that open confession would be good and get these secret sins off of their heart. Let me tell you something. You need to unless you got an audit with your brother, you need to take them sins to God and lay them at his feet. And so they begin to confess. One of the ministers confessed that he had a problem with drinking just a little bit when things got rough and Couldn't handle it, you know, just a little to settle his nerves. And sometimes he drank just a little too much. And I just have this problem. And I I want you all to forgive me. I want God to forgive me. The next preacher begins to talk about he's got a problem with women and lust. And he just pours it out and tells, you know, all the feelings he had for whoever and just spills his guts Come time for the third one. And about that time, the rough water and the wind subsided a little bit. And the need for confession probably wasn't. And he looks at them and they said, now what's your problem? He said, my problem is gossip. I want to tell everything that I hear. And I can't wait to get to the shore to tell everything that I just heard. A lot of times, that's, that's the way we are. Our nature, this flesh, feeds on that. Something can happen down the road. We want the glorious detail. We want in detail of what happened. Man, don't miss a thing. Got an ear like a megaphone. Man, just I want to hear everything that I can hear because I got to have something to tell. One man said something about a lady in a certain community. He said, if there ain't something happen by noon, she'll make up something. But so in discord, how much better off would we be? say okay God they done it I know they didn't mean to do it I remember one time one of the elders had an accusation in doctrine brought against him and a lot of the elders jumped on it it wrote it to the ground but there was so many of them said I know that old elder And what they're accusing him of, I wouldn't believe it. If he told me himself, I wouldn't believe that. I'd tell him, you don't believe that, elder. What's wrong with that attitude? What's wrong with the attitude of innocent until proven guilty without all the lying witnesses? Well, I want to be Christ-like. Well, you need to learn to hate these things, and for a good reason, because I've told you this morning, Everything that he hates. The seventh was an abomination. He detests this sowing discord worse than he hated all of these other things. He hated them, but this sowing discord, the seventh was an abomination unto God. Oh, Brother Samson, as they come to the music this morning, I'd like I said in the beginning, I know this is not an exhaustive list of the things that God hates. We could go on and on and on. We can deal with lesbianism and homosexuality. Homosexual. God detests that. The Bible said it's an abomination unto God. There's some things he hates, but then there, there's some things that he detests. It's an abomination. What kind of a shape is America getting in? All the abominations, very abominable things coming down the pike. And we're just really getting started if we don't get somebody that can turn this thing around. But God is sitting there and he's hurt at these things. This, this, this stirs up something uh, uh, that he went through in Pilate's hall. It stirs up when he come to, uh, uh, to be a savior to the world and he was rejected. He was, he was lied on. He was, uh, uh, you know, false counsel and uh, all of these things. And all he ever did was Good. And the devil knows how to work on each and every one of us here this morning. Well, they've said this about me, and they've done this to me. And this ain't right, and that ain't fair. One person in a tragedy when one of their only children was taken out, where was God when this tragedy happened? He went to his minister and said, where was God when this happened? He was the same place he was at when his only begotten son was on the cross for you. That's where he was at. We take prayer out of the school. We take Bible out of the school. One of the first things they issue in the penitentiary is a Bible. I think it ought to be turned around. But somewhere communism or somewhere they know how this works and that's why it's the exact opposite where was God school shootings why did God allow this to happen I'll tell you why. Because you took God and His protection out of the school. You took God and His covenant out of your home. And you shoved Him over in the corner. He's buried under all of your desires and pride and deceitfulness. That's where God's at. Where's He at when we need Him? He's right where you put Him, He's on the back burner. We stand to our feet today. Where's God? When you begin to compare what you're going through in reverence to where God is in your life, falsely accused, beaten. Life to That's why God hates sin like he hates sin because he's already been through it. He's already experienced it. You don't know what I'm going through, Brother Samson. Compare it to what God went through for you and I today. Compare it. He is a God of forgiveness but there is consequences to our choices even though we're forgiven and broken if you're here today and these things is working in your heart working in your mind and they've got you to where you're at today because past experiences past happenings why don't you just put it in God's hands? Why don't you let God handle it from here on out? I don't understand how they're getting by. They're not getting by. The Bible said there's some people that is reserved till the day of judgment. God's just got them in their little this. You go ahead and do it. You go ahead and carry it out. Before you worst time in the world to find out how wrong you are and how right he is is on the day of judgment you know what our mentality should be this morning God what do I have to do to enter into your kingdom to the heaven you've created for us God what, what do I got to do God to enter into it today what must I do to be saved? They asked the disciple, What must we do to be saved? It's easy to refuse it when you get away from it. But we need to ask ourselves, God, just what, what does it take for me to be saved? What does it take for me to hear you say, Well done? Enter in, good and faithful servant. Psalters are open this morning.